What a wonderful time. I like it that you chat and get to know each other. Lovely atmosphere in the absence of uh, Joe and Erica that's at a graduation this morning in Portland, Oregon, I believe. Yeah. Um, uh, they've asked me to preach and to just share uh, what I have on my heart today, so I'm excited about that. Thank you for the opportunity. If we have not met, my name is Melton. I work for New Life. Uh, I oversee outreach um, at the North Campus and I get to just see a lot of things that God does in our city but all over the world and I really enjoy what I do and, and just seeing how people say yes to the calling of God upon their lives and uh, how they go out to really go and make disciples. And um, I don't know if you are aware of it but part of New Life, we're also an Asbury satellite campus for those who want to study, and I don't do marketing for them or get any commission. Um, I actually do one of the courses uh, at the moment, and one of the videos that we were required to, to watch was by a doctor, and I can't remember his last name, but um, I'm sure I won't lose marks for that. Um, but it was a video, and it's a Methodist uh, a pastor, and we, we're looking at Wesley and his life and the Methodist movement, and he tells the story of how he attended a Methodist church, I believe it was somewhere in Texas, that was actually started in the late 1800s. This is about 100 years after the, the hype or the, the, the highest point of the Methodist movement in the late 1700s. So about 100 years later, this church in Texas is established. And he tells how he in his early 1900s attended this church and how we noticed that a lot of what Wesley taught as kind of the gospel, how that was lost one or two generations later. That he said as he studied the Wesleyan movement, he realized that even this little church that he attended that was started in the late 1800s just kind of lost some of the, the, the requirements or some of the, oh, this is gonna fall over. <laughs> if I lose my notes, we're gone. Um, <laughs> That how they lost some of what he believed was very the essence of the Methodist movement. And so his whole question was, how do we lose within one or two or three generations something that was started in a specific way, and as we look in the future, or we look back, we see that a lot of that has been lost. And so as he asked this question on the video, I was actually thinking through some of the things that we have lost over the last let's say two or three or four generations. Um, as you might notice from my accent, we're not from here. So we moved here about five years ago from South Africa. And I remember our first Thanksgiving, we were like, why do people celebrate Thanksgiving? And, and what, what happens during Thanksgiving? So my wife bought a book for us, the Thanksgiving story, and we read through why we do Thanksgiving here. And I remember reading about the Mayflower, and our people coming over to the U.S. Uh, to establish the U.S. and about the Mayflower Compact. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it too. And then looking at what some of the, the inscriptions or what those hundred people on the Mayflower agreed on, said, when we get to this country, this is the reason why we are here, and, and I'll read it for you. It says, in the name of God, amen, we chose, we choose names, uh, Sorry, where are we now? It said, having undertaken for the glory of God is very high English. So I'm gonna just make it normal, plain, simple English. 
having undertaken for the glory of God and the, and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern part of Virginia. They had about two sentences, but here they say we're coming over with the intent to advance the Christian faith and the glory of God. And when I look at America today, I see that some of this is clearly lost. Some of the intent of why they came over is, is, is clearly lost. And then when I look at the church in Acts, there are some things in the church in Acts that I, I'm not saying we need to go back to the church of Acts, but I think there's things that we see and that appeared in the early days of the church that's kind of just missing today. That we, we're losing out on some of the greatness of God that we have seen in the church of Acts. And, and one of those is miracles. It's almost like we don't see miracles today. Or if we hear of miracles, it's very far and in between. Or if we see it, it's normally in Africa or Asia. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel as if it's here. And over the last month or two, I feel the Lord has been stirring in my own heart and say, Melton, why don't you trust me for miracles? Why if you kind of put that part of who I am to the side and you continue with your life in the Christian faith, but you don't trust me for miracles because God says he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So the God of Acts, the God of the 1700s, the God of the 1800s is the God of 2023. And if we, don't, don't, if we do not see those things, why don't we see that? And it, it reminded me of Paul when he said, I do not come to you with eloquent words, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Or when there was a beggar and he said, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Why don't you stand up and walk? And in my mind, one of the things we need in our society today is not our ability to theologically theorize about God and who he is, but to actually see miracles and then come to a place and say, I don't know what happened. I cannot explain it, but I was blind and now I see. There is a place for miracles that will give glory to God that we cannot through words or try to understand it, get to a place of understanding. But when we see it, we can testify of the goodness of God. And I wonder how many young people and how many people in our society today is beyond just talking to me about God, trying to convince them on an intellectual level God exists versus what I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. I cannot explain it. I cannot put a theory around it. I don't have a correct theology for it, but I can only tell you what I experienced. And my prayer is for our young people to experience the power of God so that we have more testimonies of God's miracles to say that God truly exists because he is the God of miracles. Uh, I think I was in Manitou on Palm Sunday and I was thinking back on Palm Sunday resurrection, the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, the fact that there was a man where on Palm Sunday, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, come and save us. And then on the Friday, he was crucified. And I can just imagine Saturday, day two, where all hope was gone, 
where we believed that this was our savior and maybe the disappointment or the Lord, what's gonna happen to us now? Is our lives really gone? We're hopeless, we don't know what to do because remember, they didn't know the end of the story. Saturday for them was the end of everything. It's what we hoped for and what we trusted God for was gone and yet Sunday happened and it was a miracle. Jesus Christ was raised from the, was raised from the death, was raised from dead. It's an absolute miracle. When was the last time you heard of somebody being raised from the dead? Yet it happened in biblical times. Very interesting about that story that the whole crucifixion and how God was gonna be raised from the dead and his life story as the savior was prophesied many, many hundreds of years ago. In fact, some of those prophecies are more than 700 years old. So there was a clever guy, I'm not a mathematician, who said, let's work out what's the probabilities of everything happening that happened in scripture that was prophesied 700 years before it actually happened. So they did the math, and what you need to remember is that some of these prophecies, Jesus couldn't do himself, in the sense that the prophecy was that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. Was Jesus able to manipulate where he was gonna be born? No, it wasn't even up to him. So there's more than 25 prophecies that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And what they did, they said, let's take only eight. What's the probability of these eight prophecies actually happening as it was foretold? So the mathematical chance of that happening is one times 10 to the power of 17. Now in easy terms, it's a one with 17 zeros. Now to put it in perspective for you, if we were to take coins, let's call it the 25 cent coin, this size coin, and we were to fill the whole state of Texas two feet high with coins. So just imagine this, the whole state of Texas, two feet high with coins, but there's one coin that we've marked with an X. And then we tell Basil, say Basil, we want you to walk somewhere in Texas. You need to put your hand in this two feet high coins and you need to pull out that coin with an X. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling only eight of the 25 prophecies. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle what God has done for us. Think through the New Testament. Just think of, of the life that Jesus lived, the way he did life. It's full of miracles. Every chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is, is a miracle that Jesus did. So here's the point in this sermon where I want you to talk to me a little bit. Give me some of those miracles that kind of stood out, that stands out for you as you think through the New Testament. What are some of the miracles that Jesus did? Turned water into wine. Are you thirsty, lovey? <laughs> water into wine, yes. Say again. Made a lame man walk, yes. Sorry? Loaves and fishes, are you hungry, ready for lunch? Yes? Loaves and fishes, multiply that to feed thousands of people, what else? Lazarus from the dead, I mean, massive, what else? Blind man to see, wonderful. I need one from this side too. Sorry? I couldn't hear. Heal the lepers. 
He, he healed blind people. He healed crippled people. He even remember when, when there was a group of guys, or a person that said, Lord, I need money for taxes. And he said, well, go and fish. There will be a coin in the mouth of the fish. He even helped with finances. For me, another miracle is the man next to Jesus on the cross that said, Lord, just remember me. Without reading the scripture, without even doing a single prayer, he was with God in heaven. It's a miracle. The lepers. When God said um, that you're protected by angels, uh, how many times were some of his disciples just freed out of prison? Ladies and gentlemen, it's full of miracles. The Bible is full of miracles, but let me tell you of a couple of miracles I have experienced in my life because I really believe that miracles is not just for then, but it's also for now. One of the miracles I've seen just in my the couple of years that, that we were here is a gentleman with the name of Roger. Roger was 20 years old when he committed two homicides, killed two people, and was sentenced to prison for over 40 years. So I met Roger in Trinidad Correctional Facility. And uh, Roger gave his heart to Christ, started a ministry, and uh, the year before COVID, Roger was released. And I, I stay in contact with Roger, he lives in Denver. And Roger now has a wife, he married to somebody he loves. He runs his ministry. He's preaching, actually got a YouTube channel. Channel I can watch his sermons. And, and when I look at Rogers' life, I'm thinking, God, it's a miracle. How have you redeemed somebody that was in the system for 40 years, coming out when he was 60, over 60 years old, how God redeemed his life, how God give him, gave him a spouse, how he's ministering and preaching the gospel, and many people get to know Roger and get to know Christ through Roger's life. In October last year, I, I was in Uganda. And we have a partnership there that we support. And I met a young girl. What they do, they take girls out of either sexual abuse or sex trafficking. And then they take care of them. And I met a young girl and her name is Brenda. Brenda lost both of her parents the first year of COVID. And if I may, maybe I've told you the story because it changed my life completely. So Brenda lost both of her parents the first year of COVID. And then Brenda was sent to live with her oldest sister uh, because she didn't have any other family. And in Uganda, although it's against the law, it's culturally accepted to sell younger, younger women as child brides or as wives. So the husband of the sister sold Brenda as a, as a wife to somebody else Brenda fell pregnant, and when she was pregnant, this guy said, I'm sorry, I, I cannot take care of you guys. So Brenda was out on the street. Brenda was taken in by this specific ministry that we support, a partnership. Uh, Brenda got the baby, it was a boy, but the baby was born with a hole in his heart. So for six months, they would take the baby for surgery, back to the hospital, back and forth. And about four weeks before I got to Uganda, the baby got flu, got a cold, and passed away. Brenda is 14 years old. And every time I tell it, I'm like, Lord, how can somebody so young go through so much trauma? It's impossible for that kind of life to be restored in my own mind. And then I speak to Brenda, and I say, Brenda, what would you like to become one day? And Brenda says, I wanna be a midwife. I wanna be able to, to help other people bring life into this world. And I, in front of me, I see a miracle. 
And I say, Lord, it's only you that can take so much trauma. It's only you that can take so much hurt at such a young age and give hope. And restore hope in somebody's life to give them a vision and a hope for the future. It is a modern day miracle. I was February in India. And I, I met a guy and he said, and, and, and one of his family members too, and he says, Melton, I'll tell you my story. And I said, please tell me, Roy, I would like to know. And Roy tells me how he was a total alcoholic, how he would beat his wife, beat his kids. And, and at some point, he went, and he was 40 years old, he decided to commit suicide. He said that life just wasn't meaningful to him anymore. So in India, if you don't know, they have a rainy season and a dry season. And Roy said his decision was to drive to a river during the rainy season, jump across over the bridge into the river and, and just drown. That was his plan. And he said that's what he did. He got onto his motorcycle, drove to the river, but when he got to the river, the river was dry. There was no water in the river. And Roy says, I was so disappointed <laughs> that I couldn't kill myself. And Roy says he gets back on his bike, motorbike with his helmet on, and as he's driving to the next bridge to kill himself, he hears a voice, Roy, change your life and commit to me. He said, but it's so loud, he hears it three times, it's so loud that he actually stops. Stops his bike, take off his helmet, and look in the bushes, who is this person that's calling him? And the Lord said, it's I, Jesus, commit your life and change to me. Roy goes back home, never drinks again, never in his life. Roy, in the last 15 years, has planted 86 churches in India. It is a modern day miracle. I was in Uradia last week in Romania and only 32 years ago, the revolution happened by a priest that actually walked out and sang Christian songs publicly. That was the start of the revolution. So 32 years ago, Romania is still a communist country. You're not allowed to serve God in any way, fashion or form. And last, last Thursday in Uradia, I attend a Michael W. Smith conference, uh, show where Michael W. Smith, he's 68, 67, sings all the songs we know and there's 3,000 Romanians in a stadium worshiping God. It is a modern day miracle. I can tell you many stories. One of them is yesterday. We have a group of people that went down to Trinidad and when I texted them and said, guys, how did it go? They said, one of the inmates gave their life to Jesus. And I know today there's a party in heaven because somebody gave their life to Christ yesterday. We serve a God of miracles. Why does God want to do miracles? Number one, he loves you and me. He does it because he loves us. And the second reason I believe why we can see miracles is because it gives him all the glory. John 3, 16 verse 17 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8, 32, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God is not a holdback God. Second Chronicles 16 verse 19, verse nine says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen 
those whose hearts are fully committed to him. How do we create a space for miracles? Because if we read scripture, there are environments that's inducive for miracles and other environments that's not so inducive for miracles. In fact, there's only two scriptures where, where we see God, Jesus said, I am marveled. One of them is Matthew 6 verse 5 where he says, I am marveled and amazed at their unbelief. That's in Mark 6 verse 4 to 6. And Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Then there's another place where Jesus was marveled and that was in Luke 7 verse 9 to 10. When Jesus heard this, turning, turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends return to the house, they find the slave completely healed. And we all know the story. It's uh, one of the generals of the army that came and said, Lord, would you please heal somebody that's back home? He said, you don't even need to come. If you can only speak a word, I know it will happen. And God marveled at their faith. What we need in order to create an environment where miracles happen is faith. We need to believe God. We need to believe that God is who he is, that he loves us, and that he wants to do the impossible for you. And I think a way that it practically plays out is in Luke 17. And you can follow with me and then we're gonna go from there. Luke 17, verse 12 to 19. And as he entered the village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of the leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. <laughs> Obedience precedes outcome. Obedience precedes outcome. When Jesus spoke to these 10 lepers and he said, yes, I will heal you. At that specific moment, they were still full of leprosy. When at that moment, when they looked at their own bodies and they saw the condition of their skin, no miracle happened yet. The miracle started to happen when they decided to go. When they decided to obey God in spite of what they saw. In spite of their, their, their senses telling them that nothing has happened, they chose to believe God's word and walk out in obedience. And as they walked out, to, out into obedience, they saw the miracle of God in their own lives. We have a, a friend that's a very bold woman, but she said she's bold because sometimes she cannot help to be compelled. There's something in her when she feels to do something, she just does it. They have a business where they, they sell knives. And so they go from event to event, and this, this, this is this year, this is this year that this happened. They go from event to event, and then they, they sell these knives. So a year ago, in California, I believe it was in Napa Valley, as they were selling these knives, somebody came to their booth, 
and spoke about the knives and she said she felt this, I need to pray for this guy. I need to pray for this guy. And she really didn't wanna do it. It's not the place. It's not the time. It's not the church. Nobody gave an invitation to pray. But she really felt, I need to step out and pray for this, this gentleman. So she goes around the table and said, would you mind if I pray for you? And she said, sure. And she prays and she said she felt herself starting to pray for healing. And in this prayer, he stops and say, thank you for that prayer because I have cancer. And they've given me a couple of weeks to live. They went back a few months ago, so a year later. This guy steps up to their booth and said, I just wanna tell you, I came specifically today, not for knives, but I came to tell you that when I went back to the doctor after you prayed for me, I was completely healed of cancer. In fact, I didn't believe God, I was an atheist, but I've decided to give my heart to Christ and me and my family now serves the Lord. It was the miracle power of Jesus Christ in our country on the East Coast less than a year ago that got somebody to believe in God, to believe in Christ, and their family changed. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to step out and say, God, may us, may we be conduits of miracles. May we step out in obedience without the outcome, because the outcome is not up to us. It's not you that do the healing or the miracle or whatever it might be, it's Jesus, but, but we need to be conduits of obedience and say, Lord, I don't care about the outcome, but if you ask me to pray, I'll pray. When you ask me to speak, I'll speak. And even when things look impossible, I need to be reminded that the God who was dead in the grave, that had a one times 10 to the 17 probability of being Jesus, was Jesus, overcame death for us, for you and me, and he said, now go and make disciples of everybody in the world, and one of the tools I have given you and made available, available to all of us is miracles. My heart is to do a miracle for you and my heart is to have miracles done through you. Because we just need to be open. Now I remember I, I, many years ago I asked God, and I said, Lord, what, why do I see people when they, Ryan not bonky, when he, if you don't know him, he, he did massive crusades in Africa or, or who else? Um, Almost said Abraham Lincoln, that's not the right guy. <laughs> Billy Graham, that's the name I was thinking about. <laughs> I think they, they look the same. <laughs> Billy Graham, not Abraham Lincoln. Like, Lord, why do things just happen when, when they do it? And I remember the Lord said, remember, I didn't give them le more Holy Spirit than what I have given you. We all have the equal amount of Holy Spirit. The power available to us is not different from the Billy Grahams or for the Reinhard Bonkies. The difference is, if this is a pipe, I think my pipe might be a little clogged up. And the fullness of what, who God is cannot flow through me. And sometimes the clogging is insecurity. Sometimes the clogging is a lack of faith. Sometimes it's, name it, you can name it. But, but the ability for the fullness of God and to be used in his fullness is there. You have the diameter for that. But when we die to ourselves, which is very scriptural, when we say, Lord, I pray that you would just clear me out, clean me from the inside out, that I have no desire for myself, that I will feel dead to my own thinking, 
dead to my own way of doing things, but Lord, I will obey you. Even when I see I'm still full of leprosy, but if you say go to the priest, then I will choose to obey your word more than anything else. And my prayer for you is that, that you will see miracles, that you will see miracles in your own life and maybe this morning what I would like for us to do and we're gonna use communion is that I want you to pray for the places in your own life where you feel kind of hopeless, where you think that it's really nothing that God can do about this that I have exhausted all my resources, I have come to the end of my knowledge, and if God doesn't do a miracle, and the definition of a miracle is the unexplained, that I, didn't, I don't know how this happened, but God does. Maybe it's healing in your body, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a relationship, whatever it might be, I'm gonna trust with you that God will do miracles for you. That you would come to a place next week or in a month where you say, I don't understand this, but I was blind, but now I see. I believed God for this, I have the faith for this, and now, yes, what happened? It really played out. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna ask for our worship team to come up, and the way we're gonna do communion, you can come out of your seat, you're gonna grab your communion cups, but then we're gonna do it a little bit different this morning. I want you to make groups of two or three, and then you're gonna ask each other, if you're willing to share, what's that thing I can pray with you for? What, what's that that you're trusting the Lord for, that, that you need a miracle for in this, in this moment, or this week, or today? And then you're gonna serve each other communion as a remembrance of the miracle power that we have experienced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's what communion is all about. It's celebrating and knowing and reminding ourselves Yes, Jesus died for us on the cross, but he was also resurrected. That is a picture of his miracle power available to us. And then afterwards, I'll just come and pray us out. So while we worship, you come up, take your communion, go back to your seat, turn into groups of two or three, and you're gonna serve each other communion, and you're gonna ask each other, how do I pray with you? How do I, this is your step of boldness. This is your obedience step and say, how do I pray with you? And we're gonna pray for each other and about five or seven minutes after that, I'll come up and, and, and just pray us out.